0: If you do live in the North Toronto area and are looking for a local church, we invite you to join us at one of our Sunday morning gatherings. Our desire is that God would use this to encourage you with the hope we have in Jesus. We're in Luke 2, we're gonna go from verses one to 20. And our sermon title today is Born For All People. Born for all people. This is the reality of Jesus Christ. Now, you and I have a tendency and human beings have a tendency to move on from things very quickly. We move on from diets quick. Some of us coming up soon are going to make some resolutions and we say, you know, we're going to stick to them this time. And then just after a couple months, after some time, we move on. We move on quickly from relationships. Thought it was going to work. It's not going to go do something else. We move on quickly from style trends. We move on from devices. That new device comes out and we're like, I gotta have that even though I just got one not too long ago. We move on quickly. We move on from shows. We're excited about the show coming up and we start watching it and we're like, ah, everybody else seems to be into something else. And so we just just move on. There's a tendency for us to start something and just be like, ah, enough with that. Now, the reality for Christians is one of the things that we should never move on from is the birth of Jesus Christ. That we don't move on from that reality. The, the theological term for this is the incarnation. We don't move. We stay there. We ponder. We think deeply on it. Because when we look and we reflect on Jesus Christ, what we realize is that the coming of Jesus is good news for all people because he came for all people. The coming of Jesus Christ is good news. This is not bad news. It's good news for all people. And here we're going to see very clearly that we needed Jesus to come. That if if Jesus doesn't do the thing that he does for us, which is leave heaven and come to earth, if he does not do that, we are in trouble. And the text is going to remind us that it's good news. It's also going to remind us what we're called to do. Verse 1 of chapter 2 says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. To be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. So in chapter 1, we are told that when John is born, that Herod is ruling. And so Herod is this marker for the birth of John, and Caesar is the marker for the birth of Jesus. And he gives this this command that everyone needs to go and be registered. And maybe you're wondering, why does he give this command? He gives this, this command for money. So he wants everybody to be registered because he wants to tax them. And so that's the whole drive of this registration. He wants to take Taxes. See, paying taxes would have been this painful reminder to the people of Israel that they're under Roman rule, that they're actually being oppressed. And in this registration, everybody had to go to their hometown. Verse 4 says, And Joseph went up from Galilee to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. This trip would have been a three-day trip Journey And remember, we've read that Mary is with him. Now you think about this, for this pregnant woman. How difficult and hard this trip would have been. But but her being with him is actually an important detail. Luke says that time came for her to give birth. See, Mary being with Joseph on this trip actually leads to another promise that God gave being fulfilled. Micah 5, 2 says... You, O Bethlehem, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth uh, for me one who is to be the ruler in Israel. See, Caesar makes this decree, but what you, what you, what you see here is that actually God is in control. It looks like Caesar is the one who, is, who has all the power. He makes one statement and everybody packs up and moves to this space, to do what he demands. But God works through this selfish move on his part to accomplish his purpose. might look like he's in control, but God is fully in control. And that's why Proverbs 21, 1 says, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. The Bible is trying to show us that We may look and and we, we, we look and we are like, you know, these are politically troubled times. We turn on the news and we're like, impeachment and all these sorts of things. And we start to wonder, who's in charge? What's going on? God is the one who is in charge at all times over every decision. And that's meant to give us peace in our hearts. Mary and Joseph are in Bethlehem, and it says that time came for them to give birth. Verse 7, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Here's our first point today. At the birth of Jesus, true, true humility is modeled to all. Jesus Christ, at his birth, models humility for all people. That word in could be translated guest room. And now we hear that statement that there was no place for them in the inn. And what jumps into our minds is Mary and Joseph going around knocking on doors. My my wife, she's you know, she's she's at that moment. Can you let us in? And what really is going on when that jumps into our mind is that Hollywood version. Because Luke gives none of those details. Luke doesn't say there was this long walking around hoping for somebody to let them in. He doesn't tell us that there's some insensitive innkeeper who turns them away. He gives none of those details because that's not the point he's making. The point he is making is the humility of Jesus. See, he doesn't want us to think about his parents trying to find somewhere to have the baby. He wants us to think about where the baby is laying See, humility is seen in where Jesus is laying. It says that he is laying in a manger. And if you notice, this is used three times. Verse 7, laying in a manger. Verse 12, laying in a manger. Verse 16, laying in a manger. Now, here's a good principle for Bible interpretation. If you're reading your Bible, and you're just in a section, and you start to see repeated words over and over, same word being used, same word being used, what the biblical author is trying to show you is that thing. So when you study scripture, just just pay attention. That's one of the easiest ways. Sometimes we're like, I feel like I don't understand what's going on in the Bible. Just pay attention to those kinds of details. What is being repeated? Humility here. The, The word manger could be translated feeding trough. Jesus Christ... The creator and sustainer of the universe is laying where animals eat. He is laying in a feeding trough. He is he is modeling humility. And all of this, remember, all of this is done by choice. No one's forcing Jesus into this. He willingly steps into our world in this way. He is a humble King And Jesus, his humility ultimately leads to his humiliation. In taking this step of humility, Jesus also ultimately is humiliated when he is hung on the cross and dies in our place for our sin. And that his work now is finished. And the Bible says in Philippians that he is exalted, that he is on his throne. See, his life was characterized by this. He was known for this. Now, when you read your Bible, you'll realize that there's people in the Bible who are known for certain things. Ruth is known for her loyalty. Esther is known for her courage. She says, I'm going to step in for my people, and if I die, I die. She is known for courage. Sheon pointed this out, that Jeremiah is known for crying. Nothing wrong with crying, but that's what he is known for. He just weeps all the time. Jonah is a coward. He's known for running. Boaz is known for character. This, this man who steps in to help Ruth and sacrifice and protects her, he's known for character. Lydia, she is known for hospitality. She's saved and she welcomes people into her home. They're known for these things. Christians are to be known for humility. That our life is to be characterized by this reality, that we are to be humble people, and humility always leads to exaltation. If you want God to oppose you in your life, be a proud person. The Bible says God opposes the proud. Humility is to be our thing. James says, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. That's a a guarantee. Maybe you will not be exalted in ways that you think in this life, but it's a guarantee of exaltation in the next life as you reign with Jesus Christ. We are to humble ourselves actively, acknowledging that God is in control. You're like, how do I humble myself? That's one of the simplest ways. When you make a plan, say, Lord willing. It's it's an acknowledgement that yes, I've made this plan, but if God doesn't like allow it to go through, it won't happen. It won't work. Just humbling ourselves, saying God is in control. Confessing every day that we need help. That's a way we can actively humble ourselves through prayer. Just saying, God, I need your help. I can't do this on my own. I need you to step in. Being okay with going unseen. Now think about that in a culture that we live where exposure of ourselves is the norm. Where I post something and then 10 minutes later I'm checking if anybody liked it. Because we just we, it's so hard for us to go unseen but being okay with that. How about this, listening and learning from other people. You want to know if somebody's proud? They don't listen. You want to know if you have pride in your life? You're unwilling to learn from anyone else. Just humbling ourselves in these ways. Here's why. Humility releases the grace of God into your life. That's my mom over there. (laughs) Humility releases the grace of God in your life. It says, God opposes the proud, but he gives, gives grace. To the humble. When we humble ourselves, we are are setting ourselves up for a shower of God's grace on us. That is what is going on, and that's why we walk in these ways. So Luke highlights, not that they're trying to find somewhere to have the baby. He's highlighting the humility of Jesus. And then he shifts the scene. Verse 8 says, And in the same region, there was a shepherd out in the field keeping watch, shepherds in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Why? For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Point two is this at the birth of Jesus, a Savior is announced for all. A Savior is announced. So, like Mary and Zechariah, these shepherds get a visit and they're, they're frightened as well. But the, he says, the angel says, Fear not, for I bring you good news of great joy. He says, This isn't a time for fear. This is a time for you to be full of joy. This is a time for you to be excited, verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The Savior that all people need has come. And do you understand that our culture even acknowledges that we need a Savior? That our culture actively says yes, this is true. I've got a subscription to Wired Magazine. And this is the the, 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 the cover. And if you see there, it says, stories of 25 people racing to save us from ourselves. An acknowledgement that something's wrong. And they profile all of these people. And to be honest, all of them are doing some very good things. All of them are working in some creative ways that we actually will benefit from, and we should thank God for them doing these things. And they're not, most of them aren't believers. I don't think any of them are. But they're all doing good things. But here's the thing. When you read all of these stories, what you will realize is all of them are saying that the problem is outside of ourselves. That if we fix the thing out there, We will be, that's how we'll rescue ourselves. That there's, the problem is out there. The problem is not in here. See, the Bible would agree with Wired Magazine. We do need to be saved. And we do need to be saved from ourselves. But what God says to us is that the problem isn't out there. That the problem is in here. That this is where the problem lies. Isaiah 53 Here is a verse that explains your news feed on your phone. When you look at your phone and you look down and you see something and you go, wow! I can't believe somebody would do that. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. That verse explains the world we live in so clearly that there's something wrong with us, that when we stepped away from God, that there was the sin in us drawing us away from the one who protects us, the one who loves us, the one who has told us the wise way to live, and that when we do that, we make a mess of the world. That all of us have gone astray. This is why Jesus needed to come, because of the sin that resides in us And we cannot save ourselves. Somebody has to come from outside of us. See, God sent us the Savior for the source of our problem. The problem of sin. And God is a good father who doesn't want to deal with the symptoms. He wants to root out the primary problem. And that's why the angel says, it's good news. He says, the baby is a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now you will read all of the Gospels and you will only find that statement in the Gospel of Luke. A Savior who is Christ the Lord. This is the only spot that this statement is made. And it's an important statement because the statement actually reveals the true identity of Jesus Christ. The word Savior... The title Savior reminds us that He is going to deliver His people. Christ means Messiah, it means anointed one, this one that we all need. And Lord reminds us of the authority that Jesus has over all things. We are going to go through Luke verse by verse, and what you're going to see over and over is that Jesus Christ has authority over nature. He has authority over sickness. He has authority over all the forces of evil. See, what you have here is not just any baby. And Luke wants us. He doesn't want us to just move on. He wants us to stay there and think deeply about Jesus Christ. This is God himself come to earth. And he has all authority. And when you think about human beings... When we are in a position of authority, oftentimes, when we have all of it, when the power is left unchecked, it's abused. When someone has all authority, there's a a temptation to abuse that authority. But here's the thing about Jesus. He has all authority, but he uses his authority to serve. John 10. Jesus says, for this reason the Father loves me. Because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Authority. No one takes it from me. Jesus gives himself up. He says, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. And watch this. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. All authority. But he doesn't abuse that authority. He uses it to serve and die in our Place See, Jesus, when he's in his mother's arms, he may look vulnerable, he may look weak, but don't get it twisted. Luke's trying to say, don't get this twisted. This isn't, this isn't some weak baby. This is power in her arms. See, while, check this out. Dennis, one of our elders, he pointed this out this week to me. While... Mary is holding Jesus. Jesus is upholding her. Have you thought about that? Not vulnerable. All powerful. Hebrews says, I think it's up there, yes. It says he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. She is holding him and he's holding her. She is existing because Jesus is saying, exist, mom, exist, mom, exist, mom. All power, and he uses that power to serve in a humble way, to rescue those who he created. And then the shepherds are told how to find them. Verse 12 says, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and laying in a manger. That phrase, again, swaddling cloth, I hope I'm saying that right, is mentioned twice. Again, Bible interpretation, trying to highlight something. It's mentioned in verse 7, it's mentioned in verse 12. Now, this was a normal practice for Jewish women. And the reason why they did it was to actually hold the baby secure, to keep their limbs in place and to provide stability. Now, here's an important lesson for parents. One of the, the, the greatest acts of humility that a parent can do is to humbly serve their child and provide stability and security. Just a, that's a humble act, to serve in this way. See, parenting, if you think about it rightly, is hard. Four of them at our house. It's, some days I'm just laying in the basement hiding ask her. She'll be like, where are you? And I'm just downstairs taking a nap. It's hard. Parenting is a daily opportunity to humble ourselves. It's one of, the, one, of the, one of the clearest ways that God can show you the pride that still resides in your life, the selfishness that is there. All good parenting starts with this phrase, you before me. All good parenting starts there. You before me. And here you see Mary and Joseph doing what they're supposed to do, taking care of our Savior, providing security and stability. And parents are called to that same thing. Angel is announced, the angel announces the birth, and then praise erupts. Verse 13 says, And suddenly there was with the angel, a multitude of, the heavenly, uh, of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Praise is given to God. They say glory to God. Praise goes to God in the coming of the Savior. And peace is given to those who trust in Jesus Christ. See, we have peace with God because when we trust in Christ. Our sins are forgiven. We have peace with others. Because when we realize that I have been forgiven so much, I can be a person who now turns and forgives. And I get peace in my heart because I realize I have a Savior. I have a Lord. There is hope for me. I have a future ahead of me. Jesus gives all of this to those who trust in him. And we have to respond in very specific ways. Look at verse... 15 says and when the angel went away from uh, from them in he- into heaven the shepherds said to one another let us go over to bethlehem and see this thing that we have been what has happened which has been made known to us and they went with haste and found mary and joseph and the baby lying in a manger and when they saw it they made known the saying that had been told to the, uh, them concerning this child and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherd told them. Here's our final point. The birth of Jesus uh, evokes a response from all. A response is evoked from all. He models humility. The Savior is announced and then this response has to happen from all people. The shepherds respond by going. They say, let us go over and see this thing that we have been told. And Luke says that they go with haste. And seeing the baby wasn't enough. It wasn't enough just to see the baby. They, all, they actually talk about him. Verse 17, it says, And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherd told them. Anyone that they ran into, they, talked, they told them about the baby. They were, they were, they were evangelizing. You ever wonder where you can find the first missions team in the Bible? It's right here. The shepherds now go on mission. They're evangelizing about Jesus. And it says that all who heard wondered. They marveled. See, the shepherds are excited. When we're excited about something, we talk about it. When you're excited about a book, you talk about it. You're excited about an upcoming vacation, you talk about it. You talk about, you, you're excited about dinner coming up. I'm excited. The 26, my family, we get together. and I mean, there's food back there, too. When you're excited about something, you talk about it. See, you ever wonder why we don't talk that much about Jesus anymore? The excitement has died down. That there's this moment where we're like, we're just in awe. And then what? We move on. It fades. See, Luke is trying to get you excited. He's trying to get you to marvel at this precious baby in her arms so that we would talk, so that we would share about Jesus Christ. And here's the thing about evangelism. There's no one-size-fits-all approach to it. Sam Chan, in his book, evangelism in a skeptical world says cognitive thinkers are persuaded by reason, discussion. They need to think about the gospel. We reach them with logical presentations of ideas. Intuitive thinkers are persuaded by emotions. They need to sense the awe of the gospel. We reach them with events of transcendental experiences. Concrete relational thinkers are persuaded by stories. We need to show them the gospel works. We reach them with examples of our lives. We have different audiences with different thinking and learning styles and different socioeconomic groupings and different existential entry points. So we should be prepared to engage in a wider variety of evangelism. Sometimes the reason why evangelism doesn't work is because you're only using one way. And you're not really paying attention to the people who are around you. You have not taken time to get to know them. You have not thought deeply about what is going on in their life and how they would respond. And so we need to slow down, build relationships, think wisely and deeply about who we are, bless you, talking to. Different approaches. Different people require different methods. Their their shepherds respond and marry. Responds. Verse nineteen says, "But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart." And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told to them. It says that she treasured these things in her heart; that she she pondered. What you have here is that Mary is thinking. She's trying to put it all together. And there's this there's this thought about Christians that that when we when we become followers of Jesus Christ, that our brains, we just leave them at the door. That we're not thinking people. That intellectualism is just sort of off to the side. Well, Mary shows us here that we have to to be thinking people, that we we follow Jesus Christ, but we engage with our minds. And that's why we read our Bibles. When I run into someone who's like, ah, I'm just not really into reading theological books and all this kind of stuff, I'm like, Okay, how are you gonna know God well? We are to put the work in to get to know the deep things of God. The Bible says that we are to move from milk to meat. And one of the reasons why we're so afraid to share our faith is because we haven't put the work in. So that we know the deep things of God, so that when we are challenged, we can give a reason for the hope that is in us. Mary shows us here that we are to stop think, study, put the work in and get to know the deep things of God. It's only going to help us mature as Christians. Mary contemplating is being contrast. She's being contrast with the people who simply ponder, marvel, they wonder, and they move on. See, Mary stops and she thinks there's, it's, it says the shepherds talked, and people, they marvel, and they're like, okay. And it doesn't go beyond that. Luke here is showing us that there is always a variety of responses to Jesus. Some people will hear about Jesus Christ, and we live in this culture now, and they just kind of move on. Christmas is about me getting that thing that I really want, it isn't really about the Savior of the world. See, they don't understand the significance of this moment. They don't understand what this baby means to the world. But Sally Lloyd-Jones, in her children's book, gets this. That is like, if you don't own that book, even as an adult, you're like, I have no kids at home. Buy it. (laughs) It's like $19.99 on Amazon. I think they'll get it to you before Christmas the song of the stars. And she, like, listen to this. It says, he's come. At last, he's here. A tiny cry rang out in the cold night air. A light to light up the whole world. The animals stood around his bed, and the whole earth and all the stars and the sky held its breath. The one who made us has come to live with us. And a young mother kept it as a song inside our heart, our rescuer. And they gazed in wonder at God's great gift, lying on a bed of straw wrapped in rags, a tiny little baby. I love this. My boys love this line. Heaven's son sleeping under the stars that he made. Think about that. And so you don't just look at Jesus and then just go on to the next thing. You stop and you wonder, you ponder deeply about what he means, who he is, the level of humility that it takes to do what he did. Sleeping under the stars that he made being held by the person he made, being held by the one he came to rescue. Do you think this is a time for you to just simply think about yourself? To simply look to the next coming days and think about what you're going to get and you know, sneak into where something may be hidden for you? That's not the time for that. This is a time to be like the shepherds who look at this baby and they say, we have to tell everyone so that people would not move on from this moment, so that this moment wouldn't become this trivial thing, but that it would be a deep moment. I want you to bow your heads right now. And think about Jesus Christ. And just think about, who can I share Christ with? The response to this message is a response of evangelism. It's a response of sharing about the good news of our Savior. The one who so humbles himself to rescue us. And we're called to tell, we're called to share. Why? To give other people a chance, To respond in faith to the Savior we need. To the Savior who has come. Stand with me as I pray. Father, we thank you for your Son who willingly came and gave meaning to all of our moments. No ordinary baby, there's never been a birth like this. The birth of Jesus Christ is a birth like no other because it changes the world. The birth of Jesus Christ led to a change in all of us. And so I pray that you would help us, oh God, to be people of courage to be people who look on Jesus Christ and to allow that excitement to come back and then to share, to tell it on the mountains that we have a savior, that Jesus Christ is born and to say all that he means to the world and to us. God help us, we pray, to do this. In Jesus' name, amen. For more resources or information about Hope Church, visit Hope Toronto North dot com.